time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Monday, October 26th, 2020. Thank you for starting your week off with us today on Monday or, you know, whenever you're listening, maybe it's later in the week or maybe even uh, months from now, but thanks for tuning in. Great episode ahead today. Uh, I will say again that it is just me today as it's been the past uh, few Mondays in our new format with pretty much just doing a sports recap me rambling uh, away a little bit, doing some Monday morning quarterbacking, giving my thoughts on all of the sporting events that occurred over the weekend, Friday through Sunday night, really, and what a weekend it was on the uh, on the uh, sports side of things. Uh, lots to talk about, lots to break down, if you will. Uh, in our segments today, we're kind of kind of break it down with uh, the Major League Baseball World Series. There was three games played uh, since the last episode we've had on Friday. By the way, I hope you guys enjoyed my episode with Ken Drain on Friday. It was an absolute honor to talk with my former coach, somebody that has made a tremendous impact on my life as well as so many other people. So uh, if you haven't had an opportunity, go check that out as well as all the other episodes that we've done here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Time sure is flying by as we continue to put out episodes and, and looking back as to how far this uh, podcast has grown over the uh, past few months here, starting back, you know, in, in March, actually before that, even kind of not knowing what direction we were going to have. It's pretty awesome to see where we're at now with the format, with the equipment, with all the different things. So you're still stuck with me, unfortunately, but I do appreciate all you guys tuning in and all the support. Really. It's been awesome. Uh, so anyway, we're going to talk about the world series. There was uh, games three, four, and five played over the weekend. A lot of drama in all those games. And we'll get to that uh, in our second segment. We'll kind of, kind of break down Saturday really with the little bit of college football talk and some talk about the UFC fight between Gaethy and Khabib. Uh, other, other than that, our final segment will be some NFL talk. So that kind of gives you an idea of where we're going. Uh, but, but first, uh, a few thoughts really, as you guys know, I like to open the show with a few of my just thoughts or, you know, a, a few, a few rambling away, a few, uh, a few, uh, thoughts anyway, uh, as I ramble away, see, I'm already kind of all over the place. It's been a long weekend guys. So, uh, <laughs> bear with me, but a few things I saw over the course of the weekend. First of all, uh, on Saturday, I had an absolute, uh, again, speaking of uh, having honors, really, it was an absolute honor to be a part of a really special event on Saturday. It was a memorial ride for two fallen police officers, Sean Diamond and Landon Doris. Sean Diamond was in the Pomona Police Department and Landon Doris was a Los Angeles police officer. They both were killed uh, in the line of duty years ago. It's been a long time, but one of the things that a few colleagues of theirs have been doing over the past few years is do a memorial ride where a bunch of people meet at a spot in, in Pomona, meet at a bar there uh, early in the morning, uh, raise a glass, have a few words uh, about uh, the fallen officers. And then uh, Valerie and I, my girlfriend, we actually know the, some of the people who kind of participate in this, uh, some other officers and such. And 
uh, they've included us and in, or, or included Valerie, I should say. I just kind of tag along because Valerie volunteers to play her bagpipes at each location where the memorial ride takes place. And it starts there in Pomona after staying there a bit, uh, sharing some stories and stuff. Uh, the ride continues to another location down in Orange County. Um, just another stop, another place where uh, a few words will be said. And Valerie played her pipes again, usually something like Amazing Grace or uh, something of that nature. And uh, it, it kind of gets people who don't know about what's going on. They kind of ask some questions and, and the police officers are awesome. They're like, Hey, this is a, a ride we do every year just to pay tribute to two fallen officers. And, and I think in the current climate, the way things are with uh, the opinions of police and everything, it, it's something that I'm even more proud of. I'm proud of Valerie for participating in it. And I, and I'm absolutely uh, proud to, to participate, to just tag along and see, uh, see and hear about the, the lives that these officers really impacted and such. So we go to that second stop in Orange County, and then ultimately the, the ride ends uh, as a little caravan, right? A lot of guys are on motorcycles, Harley-Davidson's, whatever the case is, and uh, we, we just followed along in the car. And ultimately the memorial ride ends at Graveside uh, down in Orange County where Mr. Landon Doris, who was killed, as I mentioned, for LAPD, uh, his widow shows up uh his kids who were three and one when landon was killed uh, are there now and this was 14 years ago i think he was killed in 06 uh, if, if uh, my memory serves me correctly from uh, information i learned yesterday it was my second time participating in this and valerie actually has participated in this for a few years as a matter of fact valerie the first time i met her she was on the memorial ride with uh these friends of ours uh, who were involved in law enforcement and everything uh, later that night, I ended up with Bill Barnes, actually, who's on this podcast. He and I met up with some of those friends, some common friends we have. And that is where I met Val later that day or later that night. Uh, I didn't quite, uh, I didn't quite make the impression. I wish I could have, <laughs> I was, you know, my very quiet self, as many of you know, me, especially around, uh, around the ladies, but, uh, I eventually got her number. It worked out. Uh, we shared some laughs about some of those memories as well. Kind of the first night we met, but ultimately Saturday was all about paying our respects to, uh, two fallen officers who've been gone a long time. And it was so powerful for me to see the, the brotherhood other officers were taking time out of their day, their off day to go on this motorcycle ride, raise a glass or two for someone uh, and just remember them, see the family members. And it was really powerful to hear some of the stories at graveside that uh, you got to hear police officers tell that maybe uh, the public doesn't know about, or, you know, <laughs> they, they don't always care, care to hear about what goes on in cop life, but I'm always interested. So that was a really fun thing that we did on Saturday. It, it's a somber occasion, but it's also the celebration really of life. So I was really glad to participate in that on Saturday, as I know Valerie was. So that was the big plans uh, for, uh, for us this weekend and something we were very much looking forward to. And I'm looking forward to it again next year. Both officers happen to die in the month of October, which is why it kind of happens at that time every year. So uh, just powerful stuff. And one of my one, and I will say this: one of the other one of the officers who was killed uh, is actually was actually pretty close friends with a friend of mine. I never met him, uh, but uh, uh, that's all I'll say: very close friends and colleagues. Uh, so it, it also has a, kind of a significance to me in that regard. Uh, but anyway, that was kind of our big plans for the weekend. And then other than that, I was working late Friday night at, at uh, FedEx, uh, raced home to kind of start the weekend. And then the big plans on Saturday, that is kind of how things went 
Um, I did, uh, you know, we were listening to some of the Dodger game and everything. Uh, but, uh, and we're going to get to the MLB stuff here in a second, but I did, I did want to say this, you know, I, I like to be impartial. I'm an umpire at heart. Uh, always been a referee. I, I have my fanhood, right. But I've mentioned to you guys that I like to be impartial. So I was listening to the world series at work and I said, you know what, I'm going to turn on ESPN radio, listen to the impartial broadcast instead of the Dodgers radio network. Right. I mean, nothing against the Dodgers radio network, but they're slanted towards the Dodgers, right? They, they may, I don't want to call them homers. I think Charlie Steiner and Rick Monday do a good job. So I turned on ESPN radio and man, a few pitches go by and, and I hear, uh, I, I hear the announcers. They're doing a great job. Chris Singleton, I think is the color commentator. Uh, Dan Shulman, I believe is a play-by-play great voice for, for baseball. But then I hear Jessica Mendoza chime in and, and this is nothing against Guys, this is nothing against women in sports, in sports media, in in coaching or refereeing or anything like that. But I was just like, why is Justin Mendoza broadcasting the World Series? And it's not so much that she's broadcasting; it's that she is generally the color commentator. That's what that's just what the term is, by the way. That's uh, where they kind of give their analysis. They're usually ex players. Well, Jessica Mendoza played softball. Okay. But when you're talking to Chris Singleton, who I believe it, it is still is, he's the MLB player. You're listening to him, and then you listen to her. It's most like when she was doing Sunday Night Baseball with Alex Rodriguez. It's like, wait a minute. Okay, I, I, I'm i not trying to diminish Jessica Mendoza's accomplishments in softball and everything. Uh, but, you know, I mean, all, <laughs> all, all things being equal, it's not the same thing as playing in the Major League Baseball playoffs. So... Uh, my, my ears immediately started to bleed and I said, Nope, not doing this. And I flipped it back to the Dodger station. So, uh, it has nothing to do with Jessica Mendoza being a female. I, I really don't care if she's uh, a female it's credentials that I look at and it's, yeah, <laughs> it's what things sound like, like you're being talked down to by someone that knows more than you. And it's like, wait a minute, you've, you've played in exactly as many major league baseball games as I have. So <laughs> I thought it kind of ruined the broadcast. I know I'm probably someone's going to tell me, oh, Matt, you're, you know, you massage. I don't even know what the words are anymore. You put an ist at the end of every uh, insult now and, uh, you know, isms and isis. And it's just like, okay, cool. Awesome. I'm not saying women should be in sports, but it was a little odd that Jessica Mendoza was broadcasting the World Series. Uh, I, I do love Dan Showman and Chris Singleton for that matter with, with their uh, analysis and kind of the way they broadcast the game. But I've mentioned before that hearing Jessica Mendoza on here was a, was a little odd for me. So I flipped it back and I said, you know what? I, I like Rick, Rick, uh, Rick Monday and Charlie Steiner. I think they do a good job and yeah, they get behind the Dodgers a little bit too much at times, but I'll take it. I'll take it. So if it was Vin Scully doing the Dodgers, Oh, I'd absolutely listen to him but he's gone and hasn't, uh, uh, you know, been working with the Dodgers for a few years now, and that's a big change. But anyway, those are my my two cents on that. I, I flipped the game on and was like, "What? Why? Why is this? I can't do this. I, I just can't do it. I'm sorry." And uh, yeah, some people may not like that, but whatever. It is what it is. Um, let's talk about debate moderators. You know, again, back to impartiality. I didn't talk much about the debate on Friday because I was kind of focusing on our guest, Mr. Drain and everything. Uh, and I'll talk to Bill Barnes on Wednesday about the debate from last week, but I'll say this. I, I don't care which side you're on about a presidential race. I really don't. You guys know where I stand on things. 
But when I was refereeing, umpiring, I do a lot of baseball, so umpiring, we were always taught when you go out there, everything you do matters. If you greet one coach a certain way, you better greet the other coach a certain way because the perception is that, oh, there's favoritism. First of all, I, I don't understand this where we're at in 2020 where people can't just do normal handshakes anymore. That's a side note. I, I shook a few people's hands uh, over the weekend that I hadn't seen in a while. And I got to tell you, young people, young people out there, yes, teenagers uh, or people in their 20s even, learn how to do a handshake, will you? I shouldn't extend my hand and you like shrivel up like you don't know what to do. What, what, what is this? What is this greeting you, you, you are displaying to me? It's called a handshake. It's been around a long time. All right. We don't have to do the, uh, the bro hug and the, the fist pound and the slap and this and this and that. It, can we just do handshakes? I'd see referees do that at games. I'd show up and he'd, he'd stick his hand out, you know, that, that cool high five, uh, grasp of the hands thing. I don't even know what to call it. It's like, dude, can we be professional for five seconds? Can you just extend your hand and have a handshake? What's so hard about that? It's unbelievable. Young people, learn how to do handshakes properly. You can have your special handshakes all you want. Maybe do the Dodger thing where they do, you know, they act like they're 10 years old and, and do weird stuff. But I miss a good old-fashioned handshake. What's so difficult? It's It's been around forever, and it's for a reason. So learn how to do a handshake, for goodness sake. So anyway, uh, back to perception, right? I'd see referees or umpires, they, they would – They'd give a, a normal handshake to one coach and then a, hey, man, hey, how's it going? Good to see you again. And they'd give some other greeting to another coach, maybe something verbally even. And when you're standing there with two coaches at a plate meeting, that matters. That really matters. You might be the fairest umpire of all, but the perception is you're giving someone more attention than the other. All right. And impartiality uh, is a big deal. Every part of it matters because if a play comes up in a game that's close, the perception is, well, you are all chummy and buddy, buddy with this guy, but not with me. Now this play goes against me. Uh, I'm pretty upset now because I think I'm being, uh, you know, hadn't having it stuck to me. All right. So with the bait moderators, this is something I've seen and it's gone on a few years now, but it just seems like it's not impartial. Maybe at times it is, but it's not impartial. Questions are asked to some candidates and not the others. Um, someone gives an answer that the debate moderator doesn't like. They, they take it upon themselves to then say their two cents and, and you know, kind of drive the narrative or whatever. And, and, and I will say in doing interviews here on the podcast, there's times I, I drive the, the conversation uh, as best I can. All right. But if you're a debate moderator, if you're an umpire, it's not your job. It's not your job to try to make a game go a certain way as a referee. You you manage a game. That that's very different. You manage the personalities, you make tough calls. All right, but as a debate moderator, I've seen too often where it's agenda driven. And I don't like it. I, I think it's uh, it's two against one at times. And again, I don't care if it's you know, if, if you're a fan of Biden, a fan of Trump, I always look at things from impartial impartiality. If you're going to say that you're supposed to be uh, in, impartial, fair, you're not supposed to take sides, then there need, you need to establish an equal playing field. That's your job. 
And if there's one thing I was told over the over years, one thing uh, we heard all the time from coaches, and it was that coaches want things to be fair, fair, equal. Uh, you know, mistakes are made, bad calls are made, but consistency, right? That's something you hear. You want from officials. You want from strike zones. And I expect it out of debate moderators. So I'm curious what Bill Barnes has to say when I talk with him on uh, on uh, Wednesday. I'm going to talk with him about the Troy Aikman and Joe Buck situation on hot mics. I don't want to go on it right now because I'm still a little hot about it, and I want more and more to come out. But I've heard them both talking about their uh, their their uh, the excuses really as to why it all happened. Not no accountability at all from Joe Buck or Troy Aikman, in my opinion. And I'll get to that with you on Wednesday with Bill Barnes because I want him to tee off on them as well uh, and and go after members of the media because they seem so brave and uh, uh, in in all the things they do often. But the you know when it comes to being accountable themselves, they're not always that way. Uh, some tragic news. I think it's an absolute disgrace as we go into the holiday season that Macy's no longer will have a Santa Claus this year. Uh, that has been announced. They're going to do, uh, you know, online cyber Santa Claus. I mean, this is where we're at in 2020. Absolute disgrace. Don't talk to me about safety and health and all these different things. You taking all these traditions now, that's not even a religious tradition. That's just a, an American tradition. You're telling me we can't have Santa Claus. I know Christmas is two months away, but I'm a little fired up about that. Kids deserve Santa Claus and not looking through them through a screen. Makes me sick. It's unbelievable. Where, where the priorities that some people have uh, in this in this crazy world we're in. It's unbelievable. So I, I'm, I'm a little hot about that one uh, as, as, uh, as I am about a few other topics, but I'm going to try to save those up for recording with Bill Barnes on Wednesday, on the weekly Wednesday way, and I hope you will tune in and send us some questions, some comments, some content, whatever. Send us some of that. I know Bill's ready to rock and roll. And uh, we want to get after it. We had kind of a rushed show last week. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about the World Series. I think it's time to uh, to dive into some baseball and discussing what happened over the weekend with games three, four, and five from the Fall Classic. Well, after Tampa Bay tied up this series on Wednesday night, there was an off day Thursday, and Game 3 of the World Series was on Friday evening to start the weekend off and start the uh, three days in three three games in three days uh, stretch there for the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So it was, uh, you know, at this point, every game is a must win, right? There's all this drama around. Oh, it's a must win, must win. Well, all, well, all it was was someone was going to take a 2-1 to lead. And uh, after a lot of criticism of the Dodgers in Game uh, two from their Wednesday performance, you know, three of their five hits were home runs. I said, the Dodgers really got to get double digit hits. That's kind of the magic number. If you can get double digit hits, I think you're going to be in good shape. Well, wouldn't you know it? The Dodgers had exactly 10 hits in game three on Friday evening. They got a tremendous pitching performance from Walker Bueller. Uh, he went six innings and had 10 strikeouts himself. So 10 strikeouts for Bueller and 10 hits for the Dodgers. Uh, Bueller only gave up three hits and one run. It was earned. Uh, only one walk. I mean, a pretty pretty good performance from Walker Bueller. And the Los Angeles Dodgers won the game 6-2 to two to take a two-games-to-one lead on Friday evening. Uh, pretty big win for them. At that point, I think a lot of people were like, all right, the Dodgers, they they – 
you know, they got pushed around a little bit in, in game two. Uh, the Dodgers are going to be fine. Uh, the Dodgers scored in the first inning of game three. They scored two in the third, two more in the fourth. So they were up 5 nothing in this game, and it really never was close because Walker Buehler was just shutting down the Rays, and the Dodgers were putting themselves in pretty good position um, with their offense. So uh, not, not so much so many long balls. I think there was two hit. Uh, by Justin Turner and by uh, Austin Barnes. Austin Barnes also had that squeeze bunt, squeeze bunt, which I, I thought was awesome. So it was the first time in a long time where a guy he has a squeeze RBI and then also a home run RBI. So pretty cool stuff. I was glad to see the Dodgers were pushing some buttons, as they say, in uh, manufacturing runs. And then, hey, you throw in a few home runs. Uh, that's pretty good there. So the Dodgers took a 2-1 lead Friday night. Uh, real quick, I do want to say, you know, I like Fox Sports. I, I worked for Fox Sports during the football season. I think Fox does a much better job than ESPN and maybe some other, um, uh, not broadcast, but uh, networks, we'll say. And, you know, it's the World Series, guys. Do you really have to put LAD on the scoreboard for the Dodgers? Like, is there any confusion at all that it's not the LA Angels playing in the World Series? You really have to put LAD. You can't just put LA. I see this all the time during like uh, the Clippers and the Lakers, like it's a Clipper game or a Laker game and they have LAL instead of just LA. You think anyone watching is really that like, well, they didn't, they didn't put a C or an L on the other side of LA. I don't know if the Clippers or Lakers are playing really. Come on guys. I mean, I I'm a details guy. I like details. I think they're important. But that's something I see networks do, and I, I just I do not understand it. You got it now with the L.A. Rams and the L.A. Chargers. I mean, every sport, every every time there's two New York teams or two L.A. teams, two Chicago teams, you don't need that extra initial. I, unless someone is absolutely stupid, and, and, and if they are, why would they be watching the game anyway? Like, you, you really have to say NYJ when the Jets are playing. You can't just say NY. I don't know. It's just something I was thinking about. I, I, I don't, I like details and it just hurts my eyes, stuff like that. Like if people really need to be told with an initial, which LA team is playing, uh, then they probably haven't watched the game all year, nor do they care about who wins the game. Anyway, enough of that. So the Dodgers took a two to one lead, a series lead that is, and we go into Saturday night. I told you I had a nice uh, memorial ride with uh, my girlfriend and some police officers on Saturday. I came home, watched the World Series. Bill Barnes actually came over, and he and I were watching the game alongside my brother, Sam. Uh, <laughs> this Dodger game on Saturday night. Uh, game four of the World Series. The Dodgers could take a three games to one lead. Uh, they were looking okay, and they had a two-run lead, I believe it was, and Pedro Baez comes in the game in the sixth inning. And... Guys, home runs happen, okay? I'm not the guy that says the Dodgers should never give up a home run, ever. Other team, other guys on the other team are very good as well, all right? But Pedro Baez, he, he's a little shaky. He gives up a three-run home run. The Rays take the lead by a run, I believe, at that point. And <laughs> what kills me is that Dave Roberts – Sends Pedro Baez back out there for a second after giving up a three-run home run. He puts him back out there. And I said after Pedro gave up the three-run home run, Sam and I were chuckling. We're like, this is hilarious. It's not even sad anymore. It's hilarious. They put him out there. I go, he's going to give up another one. He goes out there. gives up. I think Sam stepped outside for a cigarette. And uh, before he comes back in, I said, yep, he did it. Pedro Baez gave up a, a home run. And... uh <laughs> 
it was uh, quite the, the sixth and seventh inning for the Dodgers and specifically Pedro Baez. Uh, <laughs> at that point, they went up, uh, let's see here, six to four with those runs. And we're just chuckling. We're just laughing. And uh, anyway, the Dodgers did rally. They uh, they tied it in the seventh, and they took the lead in the eighth off of Corey Seager, kind of a, a flare. But they all count. The Dodgers finished the night with 15 hits, and uh, the Rays finished with 10 hits. So, again, back to that double digits and hitting. A lot of the Dodger offense was scored with two outs, so some pretty good timely hitting there from the Dodgers. Uh, but you got to get 54 outs, or excuse me, 27 outs, uh, from your pitching staff, and the Dodgers could not do that uh, after the boneheaded move to put Baez back out there to give up another home run. Roberts uh, stuck Mr. Kenley Jansen out there to complete the save for the Dodgers uh, in the ninth inning when they had a one-run lead, and I don't think there was one Dodger fan in the entire United States or the world, for that matter, listening uh, wherever, who thought that, Jansen was going to get it done. I think it was absolute nervous time. I got to imagine most people had uh, fingernails just gone. And it was pretty wild to see what happened there in the ninth inning. Um, the In the uh, bottom of the ninth as the Rays were the home team. And uh, Jansen came in to replace uh, Gratterall, who, who pitched pretty well. Got out of a jam, I believe, in the eighth inning. And, uh, you know, you, you figured, well, maybe they'll roll with him. No, they brought in Jansen. Uh, Jansen got a strikeout for the first out to start the inning. Uh, he gave up a single, uh, and then he gave up uh, <laughs> a line out that uh, for the second out, there was a mound visit because at that point it was, it was a ball that was hit pretty well. Uh, my, f- my least favorite word in baseball is walk, and uh, Jansen walked Randy, I can't even say his name, Arrozera, Arrozarena, I'm sorry, uh, bringing up. Brett Phillips and Brett Phillips singled on a line drive to Chris Taylor, Chris Taylor, the center fielder who kind of plays all over the place. He came in, uh, took his eye off the ball for just a second, which is all it takes. And the, the run from second was going to score. There was no doubt about that, especially with the, the way the ball was hit uh, with two outs. The guy was running. So Taylor took his eye off the ball and misplayed it. That allowed the runner from first base uh, arrows, Zarina for him to uh, not only get to third base, but to round third base hard. The throw came in, was cut off by Muncie. He kind of panicked and threw it pretty quick to Will Smith, who I think thought there was going to be a play there when, when there really wasn't. The runner, uh, I'll call him Randy from now on because I'm tired of pronouncing his last name. Uh, Randy fell down, a tripped over his own feet, much like Daniel Jones in that Thursday night football game, and was kind of dead to rights sitting there in the middle of the baseline, but the ball gets away and people are giving Jansen a hard time for not backing at the throw. The throw was off. I mean, Will Smith missed it. The ball ricocheted off the umpire kicked away. Uh, Randy, the base runner got up, dusted himself off and came home for the game winning run. One of the wildest endings to a game I've ever seen. You have the air by Taylor in center field. The throw comes in uh, Muncie, the first baseman, he kind of panics hurrying his throw. I don't know if you give him the throwing air or if you give Will Smith the air because the ball should have been caught. And then the runner falls down. I mean, it was just a circus, an absolute circus. And when the ringleader of the circus, uh, some would say, is Dave Roberts putting out the master ceremonies out there in Kenley Jansen, you know, anything can happen. Uh, so I just, 
I, I, again, I was sitting there, Bill Barnes was with me, my brother, Sam, and Bill just said, wow, Sam and I looked at each other. We were just laughing. We were just, I said, only the Dodgers, Stephen A. Smith, who I, I like, I don't like really broadcaster or a commentator for ESPN. He has a thing about the Dallas Cowboys where he says anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And a lot of fan bases will say that about their teams. But honestly, the Los Angeles Dodgers, especially in the postseason the past few years, have got to be feeling that. What can go wrong will go wrong. And that was that that play, that whole play, it like summed up 2020 in to, to me. The misplay of, of the ground ball in the outfield, the the wild throw, the lack of catching the ball, then the runners on the ground. He scores. It was like, well, someone's got to win here. It would only been uh better maybe if the runner fell down again maybe i don't know but just a wild finish ugly finish we'll say in game four uh where the tampa bay rays walked it off an ugly as a walk-off if you could probably see and they tied the series at two to two on saturday night and i think dodger fans if you're honest you're very loyal you're very passionate you're hungry at that point you had to be a little worried Oh man, it's two to two. Dodgers have <laughs> have uh, lost two games to the Tampa Bay Rays. It's now a three game series on a neutral field with a day off or game five Sunday, and then a day off, and then uh, p- potentially two games Tuesday, Wednesday. So I know a lot of Dodger. There was a ton of funny things I saw on Facebook and social media uh, from diehard Dodger fans, just like unbelievable. Just when you thought you've seen it all watch another baseball game. As I used to say with my fellow umpire, uh, Gabe Lopez a lot. Just when you think you've seen it all, man, watch another baseball game. Something crazy happens. Weird things happen. And, and I do want to say if uh, there there were two plays, actually, a slide at second base with, with Max Muncy, where there was an issue about did he come off the bag? Did he get pulled down uh, by a uh, the fielder? Because they kind of got tangled. And there was a discussion, right? I, I do want to say if you're curious about that ruling, I did post on our Twitter account uh, two short videos. They're both about four or five minutes. One is one is about that ruling, giving a specific ruling uh, as to what the rule was. And then there was a play similarly uh, in game five on Sunday night with Austin Barnes sliding into second base where it looked like maybe he got pushed off the bag. There's two good videos I posted on our Twitter account that will kind of give you some insight into what the process is there with the with – the, uh, what the actual rule is kind of what's going through the umpire's mind. Cause they both plays were very odd. I will say that both plays were very odd and I've been in similar situations with plays like that. They're not easy to officiate, but that's what you get paid for. And uh, you know, you're, you're paid to have the impartial hat on and make the best judgment call you can. So if you're interested in learning something, look at those two videos. If you don't have Twitter, then shoot me a text or an email. I can send it to you. Uh, just uh, it's like an umpire YouTube channel that kind of covers rules and objections and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's uh, informative to many people. So anyway, uh, moving on Dodgers lost game four. I think going to bed Saturday night, a lot of Dodger fans were pretty frustrated and a little worried if they're honest, they they probably really were knowing Clayton Kershaw was going to have the ball in game five and Clayton's been shaky. He's, he's had uh, his ups and downs in the postseason for sure. I think at times he's, he's stepped up and, and really, I've been there for the Dodgers, but he's had a a lot of bad losses as well. So going into game five, Clayton Kershaw was probably the storyline. And uh, Tampa Bay, you know, really in the mix now to to, uh, take advantage of uh, some mistakes from the Dodgers. And unfortunately, Tampa Bay 
uh, or unfortunately for them, I should say, uh, they ran into the wrong Clayton Kershaw on Sunday night. He pitched very well, very, very well. Um, the Rays could not really put anything together offensively. They did score two runs in the third inning, but that was all, all she wrote for the Rays offense. That was all they could get going. And you got to hand it to Clayton Kershaw, who who pitched into the sixth inning uh, with two outs into the in the sixth inning, actually. And uh, he, he did a pretty good job. 5.2 innings pitch, five hits. Uh, two runs, both earned, two walks, which was eh, but uh, six strikeouts. So he did a pretty good job. Again, it's all about runs. I was a little surprised to see Roberts pull him with two outs and nobody on base in the sixth inning. I think Dodger fans probably, I don't know, it's probably split. Some were like, yeah, get him out of there. But it's not like he was in trouble or anything. They brought in uh, May. Uh, he got the final out. And then the Dodgers bullpen uh, pitched well the rest of the way and to uh, continue to keep the Tampa Bay Rays at just two runs. And there wasn't much offense in this game. Dodgers were out hit seven to six, but again, it's all about uh, the runs across the board. The Dodgers came out early, two runs in the first, one in the second, uh, one more in the fifth, and uh, kind of a scrappy game really uh, that the Dodgers and the Rays played on Sunday night. Uh, that that really important game, right, where someone gets within one win of the World Series. So uh, pretty gutsy performance from Clayton Kershaw, Dodgers with a couple home runs from Peterson and Muncie. Uh, but other than that, just kind of scratching across uh, some runs in a, in a tough, uh, tough pitching performance from the Tampa Bay Rays as well. And uh, the Dodgers won game five, four to two on Sunday night and are one win away from their first World Series championship since 1988. The games uh, will come to a halt on Monday. They'll take a day off, a breather, if you will. No travel needed because it is a neutral site game. They're still in Texas, not going anywhere. So I think that's uh, probably a good thing. Well, it's it's probably good for both teams, really. After three three games and three days, take a breather. Uh, I think Clayton Kershaw is probably done for the series. Um, the... Uh, excuse me, the uh, Dodgers will probably throw Walker Bueller in game seven. If there is a game seven, it would be on short notice. So I don't know if Walker Bueller would start or not, but I do think, uh, I, I don't think there's any, there's, there, I don't think there's no chance. <laughs> How do I say this? I don't think uh, it's, I don't, oh, man, this is harder than I thought. I don't think uh, you will not see Walker Buehler in game seven, if there is a game seven. So the Dodgers can close it out on Tuesday night with a win. Um, my original prediction was Dodgers in six. Uh, that could come true, but I think LA fans will take it in six and seven. However, they got to get it done. They just want to see a World Series championship. The Dodgers have been so close. You can't get, get much closer than they are right now with a three games to two lead over the Tampa Bay Rays. But I can promise you the Tampa Bay Rays they're not done. They are going to put up a fight. I don't, I can't see a, a blowout or anything like that occurring in game six. I could be wrong, right? I've been wrong before. Uh, who knows? Maybe the Rays just fall apart and, and we see weird things happen at weird times in sports. But I think from the baseball we've seen over the weekend, it's going to be a tough fight for uh, the Rays and the Dodgers, no, no matter who ends up winning this thing in moving forward. Uh, I think the Dodgers do win it in six based off of what we've seen. I think uh, they've been humbled a little bit in some of the, the losses, especially the tough one Saturday night. I think they get it done on Tuesday. But if it does go to game seven, 
I think the pressure's on LA, man. I really do. I, I, Tampa Bay is, it was not supposed to win this series, if we're all honest. And if they get it to a single game, single winner take all game, watch out. Uh, watch out indeed because uh, they, they are playing, they're playing hard. I'll say that about Tampa. They, they're in all these games and they seem to have a little playoff magic uh, as well. So exciting time in the fall classic. The LA Dodgers are one game away from winning a World Series. And the closest they have been since tying game, tying the series in game six of the 2017 World Series over the Houston Astros. So I'm excited that we're going to see a long series here, not a sweep or a gentleman sweep, as they like to say, with a five game. But we're going to a six game on Tuesday night. You got to take a breath and uh, take a breather and listen or excuse me, watch some football on Monday night and, uh, you know, step away from baseball. But when it comes back Tuesday, I think the city of Los Angeles is ready to party and uh, they would rather do it on Tuesday night than Wednesday. But we'll see what happens. We will definitely have uh, analysis of game six on Wednesday with Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh in. And we'll either be talking about a Los Angeles Dodgers championship or uh, a, a game seven and what that means and what to look forward to in that. So that'll wrap it up for our baseball discussion here. We will now have a rather short discussion on some other sports that occurred over the weekend, specifically on Saturday with college football and a very big UFC fight. Well, guys, as I mentioned, I was kind of gone most of the day on Saturday with the memorial ride for the two fallen police officers that they do every year. So I really didn't get an opportunity to watch a ton of college football or UFC 254 for that matter. I did get the update. I've seen the video. I've seen some scores from college football as well as some highlights and such. So uh, this will probably be a rather quick recap of Saturday sports. Uh, But I will say about UFC 254 and Khabib Nurma, his name is so tough, Nurma Gomedev uh, and Justin Gaethy, the title fight on Saturday. It was fought in the middle of the day, which is kind of kind of tough for a UFC fans as you kind of get used to that late night Saturday night card, but it was fought, you know, uh, out of the country. So uh, you got to do what you got to do. Anyway, and, the, and the World Series was on, so uh, it's probably a lot of reasons why that happened. But anyway, um, Khabib, who uh, 29-0 in his career, he uh, he defeated Justin Gaethy, and it really wasn't close. We all know that uh, Khabib is a guy who gets on the ground, and he's a uh, he takes guys to the ground, and he just he <laughs> he doesn't let you up. He doesn't let you up for strikers, and uh, he's a, a scrappler or a grappler, I should say. Uh, that's a good name, scrap scrapper, scrapper, grappler. Anyway, uh, Khabib dominated. He submitted Justin Gaethy, and it looked like uh, it was a submission. And Gaethy, Gaethy was hurt pretty bad. I don't know if the referee was able to see uh, that he was tapping out or whatever, but uh, Khabib with the win was very emotional. And I think he surprised a lot of people when right after the fight, he retired. He retired at 29 and 0, uh, rather young fighter, young career. Uh, but he's had some great wins over Gaethy and Conor McGregor and, um, you know, a very, very different approach, we'll say. Uh, he's a Russian descent and his father, you know, not being in the round anymore. I think that was a big reason that he decided to, to call it quits, uh, decided to retire because in his words, he was saying that basically, uh, 
he didn't want to fight with his father not being around anymore. His father recently passed away. And, uh, you know, for him, his father meant a lot to him. He's Khabib's only 32 years old. And, and, you know, that may or may not be, uh, young still in fighting terms, but, uh, he's done it all. He's, like I said, 29 and 0 record, a champion. And, uh, what more does he have to prove really, you know, and and somebody who, uh, loves their father, loves their parents, uh, you know, not being around, Having someone who's been in your corner literally uh, a lot of your life and then not having them around anymore has got to be difficult. So congrats to Khabib on uh, winning the fight on Saturday and a great career, really. A really really great career and all of his accomplishments. Um, He is the most followed Russian celebrity on Instagram with more than 24 million followers. Uh, That was of October. Uh, He's the first Muslim and Russian-born fighter to win a UFC title. Uh, So congrats to Khabib on a great career, Uh, just incredible performance. And you could see after he won on Saturday that he kind of told his the guys in his corner and everything, like he won, he just kind of walked to the middle of the octagon. He put his arms out and he was was happy, but he had like this this just exhausted look on his face, like it's over, it's all done with. And it looked like he kneeled down, he said a prayer maybe to, uh, you know, thinking about his old man. I think we can all appreciate that moment. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's uh, you know it's a brief fight, but I think in the aftermath of the fight, you really can appreciate what these athletes go through, what they put into their time and everything. Um, you, you do all this training for this very short window of time in, in a fight and everything, right? And everything's got to go right for you. Uh, things can go wrong. Things can get crazy. And uh, as someone who lost a, a parent, uh, a big supporter of his recently, I think he was just he was done. You know, it's all. He was all uh, worn out. He was done with it all. Nothing else, else to prove. So, hey, if you can retire at 32 after pretty much accomplishing everything in your sport that you've wanted to do, my hat's off to you. I'm not a Khabib fan. I, I really wanted McGregor to beat him when they fought. Uh, but you got to respect greatness. And Khabib uh, has had a great career, as I've said, and and really one of the best fighters UFC's seen uh, in the lightweight, welterweight division. Just, uh, just a great job. So congrats to him. Um, you know, it was – kind of a big buildup with this fight and it was over rather quickly. Uh, Justin Gaethje, he'll, he'll be back. He'll have other things he's going to do, I'm sure. But uh, we won't see, as of now, Khabib uh, fight again. And, uh, you know, that makes room really for so- the next stars of USC FC to step up and for kind of new stories to be written. So I'm really, really looking forward to uh, some of the new faces and the new stories we'll see here in the future of UFC. Uh, so a lot of college football on Saturday, and I'll say this, that I was very happy to see both the Big Ten and the Mountain West return to action. They originally, both of those conferences, along with the Pac-12, said they were not going to play in the fall. Then after a few weeks, they said, oh, we changed our mind. Maybe we will come back. They did have some uh, some swaying, swaying uh, done with them. Some people, maybe at some higher positions, that uh, said, hey, you guys need to play. <laughs> so I was happy to see the Mountain West back in action as well as the Big Ten. The Mountain West out here obviously is the only thing that we got because uh, the Pac-12 is still kind of uh, scared, and I know they're getting ready to play. They're going to play that you know big seven-game schedule or six, whatever it is, uh, you know six-game schedule, and it's that's a joke. But it was cool to see teams like Nebraska, Ohio State, uh, Penn State, uh, Iowa. These teams back in action. Um, some names that you look on your television on Saturdays. And it's nice to see more and more teams that you're used to seeing. And I've always been a mountain West fan. Uh, I've worked baseball in that conference a couple of years, but I've always appreciated and respected the programs 
in that conference. You know, the Boise States, the Fresno States, even the Hawaii's, San Diego State, they've done a great job with their program. It's kind of like the second-tier non-Power 5 conference, but I still think there's some pretty good football and a lot of uh, California kids, Southern California kids especially, play at a lot of those schools. So it was really cool to see to see the Mountain West back in action. Uh, just, you know, a little, a little more taste, a one more little step right towards normal stuff, normalcy. I love it. Just one small step. And uh, I'll always watch uh, those Mountain West schools and, and teams like that because I can appreciate the, uh, the non-power conferences, the teams that are out there uh, playing hard just like everyone else is and trying to do big things. Uh, I will say that, that as far as the games and everything, there wasn't a whole lot to discuss it was kind of a, and again, I wasn't watching college football all day. I did, I did try to do some research and look at some games and some highlights and everything, some storylines. Uh, Alabama kept rolling right along with a big win over Tennessee. Uh, Auburn beat Ole Miss. Uh, it's handed another loss to Lane Kiffin. Ohio State came back and opened up against Nebraska, put fifty-two on uh, on Penn, or excuse me, Ohio State beat Nebraska fifty-two to seventeen. Uh, that was a pretty big score. Uh, Nebraska still a long way to go. Uh, Iowa lost to Purdue. That was a little surprising. Uh, Michigan beat Minnesota. These are some of the Big Ten scores of note because they haven't been planned, which I found interesting. But I will say the game of the day and probably the craziest ending to a game, and at least the last few moments of it, was the Penn State and Indiana game. Let me paint the picture for you if you haven't heard about this. Penn State was winning by one point with about a minute and a half left. They were on the... uh, Indiana side of the 50, probably somewhere around the 30, 20-yard line, somewhere in there, just trying to run out the clock, winning by one point. Penn State ran the ball, and Indiana made the decision that they were going to let Penn State score. You can see it on the highlight as clear as day. They, 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 they step aside. They let Penn State, the running back, run through the middle. And you can tell as he's approaching the goal line, he realizes what's going on. Like, oh, they're trying to let us score so that they can get the ball back down eight. And before he can realize it, he kind of falls into the end zone. Whereas if he doesn't score, he takes a knee, he slides, whatever. uh, The clock keeps running. I don't know if they had timeouts or not, but probably not if they were trying to let them score. So Indiana lets Penn State score, which is very interesting. It was very well executed and not very well executed by Penn State. Uh, Kind of, uh, you know, not such a great job on them not knowing the situation. And maybe the coach told him, Hey, don't score. And a college kid, he just, he did it anyway. I don't know. It looked like when he went into the end zone that he was at least thinking about it, contemplating what was going on. So he scored. They go up eight after the extra point. Indiana goes up the field. They score. They get the two point conversion with a few seconds remaining to send the game to overtime. Uh, Penn state gets the ball first. They score, kick the extra point. Indiana scores uh, on their, their turn with the ball and they decide to go for two. And it was a rather wild play with, I believe it was a quarterback. Uh, Anyway, running to the left. uh, Looks like he was going to be pushed out of bounds. He reaches for the pylon. The ball's in his hand. He has possession. It looks like he hits the pylon. And as soon as he hits the pylon, he loses possession of the ball. So uh, the officials and the replay, they all made the decision that he had possession as he hit the pylon. And Indiana with the big upset of the number eight ranked Penn State Nittany Lions 36-35 and I do want to say this too I've already said this about rankings and everything I'm sorry but if other schools have been playing for three four five weeks okay I respect Penn State I respect Ohio State who's ranked number five Uh, I respect these programs but I'm sorry you have no games under your belt when everyone else has four or five games you shouldn't be ranked 
you should have to earn your spot to get into that. All right, I understand the SEC played a few a few games uh, after some of the other schools, the Big 12 and everything opened up. We're talking about like two weeks later, not four or five or six, whatever long it's been. Okay, that's just my opinion. I, I don't think you should be able to be ranked when some schools have played five games and you haven't played any, even if you are Ohio State. I mean, Clemson's played six games already. They're ranked number one in the country. Why should Ohio State, who's played no games, be ranked five in the country? I mean, and plus, give it, give it. The schools have been playing; they should be rewarded with getting in the top twenty-five. I know rankings are irrelevant, really. You know, or at least until later in the season when the college football playoff becomes an issue and everything. But those are just my thoughts. I don't think with five or six games played that you have a right to really be in the top twenty-five rankings when you haven't played a game. And and shame on you, the, the Big Ten, for uh, delaying your season and not playing when everyone else was playing. That's on you. That's not on anybody else. So congrats to the Big Ten. Congrats for the Mountain West to come back and play football when they said they were not. All right. I guess uh, it's never too late to uh, join the party. But you know who's last to the dance? And it's like hysterical to me. You could say, yeah, the MAC too, the you know the Mid-American Conference. But the Pac-12, you let the Big Ten and the Mountain West get back to playing football before you. Congratulations. Congratulations. You are still not taken seriously as a power five conference. You're last when it comes to that, when it comes to making football a priority. And I got to be honest with you. There's a lot of mountain West teams. I'd put up against the PAC 12 right now. And I would say they care more about football than the PAC 12 does. They care more. Some, the, the top, you know, four or five, six schools in the mountain West care more about football than some of the administrations in the PAC 12. It's an embarrassment. We've been saying it for months now. Some of the decisions the Pac-12 has made. Bill Barnes, I know, was fired up about this. Uh, when we talk about this on Wednesday, how the Big Ten and the Mountain West came back, even though, again, they're playing six or seven games, whatever the case is, which I think is kind of a joke. They should just play 10 games like everyone else. But the fact that they're playing is better than not playing. And the Pac-12, again, you're last to the dance. Congratulations. You, you, you have a lot of ground to make up, not only this season, but in moving forward. I think this is going to hurt your recruiting uh, really, really bad. And I just don't think people are going to take the Pac-12 seriously, as serious as maybe some of these other schools in the Mountain West or the Big 12 or, or whatever. You, you can't dig yourself into such so big a hole that it takes forever to get out of it. And ultimately, I think that's the Pac-12 is in trouble. They're in trouble as far as the games on networks, uh, scholarship. I mean, not scholarships, but recruiting. I mean, th there's there's some real trouble here for the Pac-12, and the fact that they're just last of the last of the party is uh, it's not a fashionably late situation. They're late, they're they're late and a dollar short, and it's and it's not not a good look on them. So, I hope they do come back. I do, and uh, I'm not sure when it is. If it's next week or I think it's November, but. Uh, we're running out of days here in the football season, and the Pac-12 is, is still behind. So congrats again to the Big Ten and the Mountain West for coming back. And looking forward to some more exciting college football games next week. The SEC is always fun to watch. So a lot of great matchups there uh, in tuning in. But but we get to some cool Mountain West matchups too. I saw them on, on CBS Sports Network. They're also on Fox, Fox Sports 1. I think that's a, a big thing for for that conference and moving forward. And uh, I congratulate them and looking forward to some good games next week in the college football 
uh, slate. Should be a lot of fun. So uh, we will talk some more college football next Monday after another exciting Saturday of action, as well as some more UFC, some more boxing, if some uh, good fights come up. But uh, we'll take one final breather here before we dive into the NFL action from Sunday. Lots to talk about, and we'll try to move right along with that so that we don't keep too much of your time. But uh, coming up next, some discussion of some of the storylines from NFL Sunday. Well, there were some very highly anticipated matchups on Sunday for the NFL action on week seven. Some very big games in the morning, uh, not so many big ones in the afternoon, but I will say the the game Sunday evening, the Cardinals and Seahawks, I was watching that side by side with the World Series. Uh, that game was incredible, lived up to some expectations where I think this was a year, one of the first years really where some people were excited about the Cardinals playing Seattle because Seattle's kind of been very consistent in that division. Uh, the NFC best, as I call it, is the NFC West with uh, my Rams being in that division and everything. But the uh, Cardinals, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, good things this season so far, scoring some points with the air raid offense with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury as the head coach. So doing a lot of good things. I, I've always said that Seattle and Arizona, every time they play each other, it seems to be a good game over the years. No matter how bad the Cardinals are, they always seem to match up against each other uh, very well. And the game Sunday evening was uh, down to the wire. The Cardinals down 10 points in the fourth quarter, rallied, scored late, got the ball back. Um, you know, Russell Wilson did some incredible things, as he always does. But the Cardinal defense did just enough. I think the three interceptions that uh, Russell Wilson threw were probably uh, ultimately the the, the downfall. Um, Russell Wilson had them in position in overtime to to make some plays a couple times, and uh, the Cardinal defense again stepping up and, and making big plays. Uh, Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, five and two now, uh, beating the uh, previously unbeat Seattle Seahawks, thirty seven thirty four in overtime. Uh, big kick from uh, the Cardinals kicker, uh, not only uh, Zane Gonzalez, and not only as uh, at the end of regulation to tie it, he did miss one in overtime, but uh, the game winner, 48-yarder with 15 seconds remaining in overtime, uh, very big kick from, from him. And Gonzalez had a few other kicks earlier in the game. Uh, that uh, were, were pretty pretty good, uh, just good distance. And was really happy to see him get some redemption there in the fourth quarter, or in overtime, excuse me, to, uh, to uh, give the Cardinals the win. I, I got to say this about Kyler Murray, and I said this about Nick Gonzalez, who asked the question earlier in the week about Kyler Murray, what I see in, for, in him long-term. I think Kyler Murray... When he gets the ball out quick, he he does he does really well. He he's definitely a scrambler. He he runs around. He he he, uh, he doesn't always look comfortable in that pocket. But he did throw for 360 yards Sunday night. He had three touchdowns, uh, one interception. Um, but he did buy time. He looks so small out there. He looks like a little punt returner at times running around. But he buys time. Um, he he played very well. And the Cardinals at the end of regulation. I got to hand it to Cliff Kingsbury. Sometimes you see play calls and you're like, why did they do that? He called two plays late in the game in obvious passing situations. He called uh, basically a quarterback draw. Uh, they're, they're out of timeouts. The Cardinals had no timeouts left, and it was they had to try to get into field goal range. And he called a running play for Murray when the middle of the field was wide open 
and had receivers not taken their their coverman there to the middle of the field, uh, it may have gone for a long way. But then he called a running play with I think like 14 seconds left. Cardinals ran the ball. Maybe it was like, I don't know, 16 seconds or something. But they ran the ball. They were able to get up, spike it, and get a field goal off. So Cliff Kingsbury with two pretty gutsy calls there, uh, calling running plays that uh, kind of went against the grain, which is ironic because he's, uh, you know, the air raid offense, right, all this stuff. So uh, a big win for the Arizona Cardinals who are 5-2. and two, And that NFC West, as I talked about, uh, is really, really uh, the best division in football, hands down. Seattle Seahawks are five and one. My Rams are four and two. They play Monday night against the five and one Chicago Bears. So I'm really hoping for a win there, but who knows what will happen. And the 49ers, after some struggles, they've turned it around. They went to New England and they absolutely embarrassed the New England Patriots, guys. Uh, the 49ers won 33 to six. Their offense looked great. Garoppolo of uh, 2025 didn't throw for 300 yards, just under that. But the 49ers are probably the one of the most balanced teams in the NFL run the ball well, spread the ball around. Um, their their defense really got after it uh, against Cam Newton, who I've been very critical of. I told you guys kind of let's wait and see what happens with this Cam Newton experiment in New England. And uh, Cam Newton played terrible. He played terrible. Um, he was actually benched for Jared Stidham. And I don't know what is going to happen with the Patriots, but I have a feeling that Belichick might just be put the rest of his um, season into Jared Stidham and developing him rather than a, a rather aging beat up Cam Newton. Uh, Newton was, like I said, not very good. Nine of 15 for 98 yards, three interceptions, and uh, they, they could not get in the end zone. The, uh, the uh, New England Patriots, that is. So a uh, tough game for the Patriots. It's not, I'm not going to lose any sleep over the fact that the, the Patriots are two and four. I have uh, a lot of confidence in the Patriots and their system and everything. But when they brought in Cam Newton, I just said, you know what? I don't like that situation at all. Um, th- there was some attraction. A lot of people were like, oh, man, Belichick's got a mobile quarterback now. And you know how I feel about that stuff. Uh, I don't think it uh, – I think it causes you more problems than uh, success, really. But anyway, Patriots are in trouble. Uh, I think they might be moving on from Cam Newton here soon. But, but we'll see. 49ers are back on track again with that NFC West. Uh, 49ers are back to four and three and looking pretty good uh, with the with demolishing of the Patriots as well as beating my Rams last Sunday. So uh, NFC West is, uh, man, I, they're going to get three playoff teams in for sure. Uh, three teams in the playoffs. I, I would be, I don't know if it's possible with this new playoff format if they can get all four in, but uh, it's looking that way. Uh, some other matchups from Sunday. Uh, the Probably the most anticipated game was the Steelers and the Titans, two five and O teams. And, and that game really lived up to expectations. Uh, the Steelers jumped out. They were up 27-7, I believe. And the Titans really stormed back. They came back. Uh, Tannehill uh, played pretty well. Derrick Henry, uh, you know, he's always going to do what he does. But I think the, the the Steelers did a really good job of keeping Henry, uh, you know, of, of limiting him. Not letting him get going, really. Henry was under 100 yards, only 75 yards rushing, which is a huge success by the Pittsburgh defense. And uh, I do think Pittsburgh has the best defense in the NFL. They they gave up 24 points. I know that the Titans rallied and, and you know almost uh, got back to to win the game and everything, but the Steelers hung on. Steven Gostowski missed a field goal late that would have tied the game. And Gostowski's had some great kicks, but he's had some bad kicks this season too. The longtime New England Patriot and a tough loss for Titans fans at home. 
But, man, it seems like this is their third game in a row at home. I mean, they're playing home all the time. I love my boy Clay Travis, Mr. Radio Broadcaster out there on Outkick, the coverage and everything. But, uh, man, his Tennessee Titans went down on Sunday to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, are just kind of quietly going about their business. They're 6-0, and playing really good football. Roethlisberger seems to be uh, – oh, he's doing okay. He did have three interceptions on Sunday. But uh, – the Steelers are, are playing good ball. Like I said, when you got a great defense, you can afford to make a few mistakes. And I think Mike Tomlin continues to be one of the best coaches in the NFL. And the fact that Big Ben is healthy and uh, maybe some of the distractions are away from Pittsburgh, I think uh, they're going to do some great things. I, I think they're going to win that division. I think they're better than Baltimore. Baltimore was off this week. So uh, we'll see. they got to play each other two, two times still. That should be a lot of fun. But that NFC, AFC North – uh, appears to be going the direction of the Pittsburgh Steelers. However, one team in the AFC North who's playing very well, better than people have, ex- have expected, and beat another AFC North team on Sunday were the Cleveland Browns beating the Cincinnati Bengals 37-34. to And as much as I hate to say it, guys, you guys know I am not a Baker Mayfield fan. I think he's immature. I think uh, he's a little reckless at times. Uh, a little too much about himself. At least that's the perception, right? And and we live in a perception world. Well, Baker Mayfield played very good football on Sunday. Uh, went 22 of 28. Uh, at one point, I think, had 15 completions in a row or something like that. Uh, threw for 297 yards, but five touchdowns. One interception, but five touchdowns. So Baker Mayfield had himself quite a day up against Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow continues to be the the the, the uh the silver lining for Cincinnati, the, the definitely the, the quarterback of the future. He threw for over 400 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, but he is definitely going to be a, a bright spot for them in the, in the future. And I think the Bengals, they're going to have another rough year. They're one, five and one now, uh, but the Browns continue to play well, continue to win games. And uh, I know they got humbled last week against Pittsburgh, but it's a week to week league here in the NFL. And I think, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, if if he continues to not make mistakes, to not try to do too much. He gets sacked a lot when he's trying to do too much, I think. Uh, sometimes he tries to make throws that aren't maybe in the best interest of the ball club. Um, but no sacks for Baker Mayfield and the Browns on Sunday, which is which is really big, really big for a guy like him. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I still am not a fan of his, but I, my hat, I tip my hat to him. He had quite a game on Sunday and, uh, We'll see in moving forward what the Browns can do. I do know that uh, the injury to Odo Beckham Jr. could be serious. No official word on that as to uh, what that's going to mean for the Browns. But I don't know. I almost think like say Beckham goes down and he's out of he's he's out of the the situation for a few weeks. I, I almost feel like that's better for the Browns. It's I feel like Beckham is just a distraction. He seems to be a distraction and and. He always, I, I know, I think he's such a talented receiver. I, I understand that, but maybe him being hurt isn't the worst thing in the world. I, I hope, I hope he, uh, I hope, I wish him a speedy recovery. I do, I really do. I don't want to see anybody hurt. Uh, we see it every Sunday. Someone goes down, and you know, I wish him nothing but the best. But the Browns are playing good football. They're five and two. Definitely a tough schedule ahead, as as it is for everybody in the NFL. Uh, but we're gonna see what the Browns are made of here as we kind of finish up. Uh, halfway point of the season here very soon. Uh, some teams have played six games, you know, with a buy and everything, but most teams have played seven and we're going into that week eight where a lot of teams will be halfway through their schedule and kind of their identity will be established. Uh, anyway, some other storylines from Sunday 
The Dallas Cowboys, I, I think you can all but write them off. Uh, they looked absolutely terrible against the Washington Redskins. They lost 25-3. to uh, I feel for Andy Dalton, who took a rather uh, vicious, dangerous hit that definitely deserved, uh, warranted an ejection, we'll say. Uh, and uh, Andy Dalton, it looks like he has a concussion. He's going to be out going to be out a little bit so i can't imagine the cowboys uh are are, you know they're going to turn to their third string quarterback here and uh it's it's probably not a good situation ben denucci is the cowboys backup uh, a rookie out of james madison college major james madison university so maybe it's an opportunity for him to get more reps and to play good ball and that's where stories are you know it's kind of where stories you know, take off it from a guy like that. So we'll see what happens, but the Dallas Cowboys, and it doesn't break my heart at all by any means to see them struggling. America's team, uh, as they say, is not playing so well. And uh, man, when you, when you lose by 22 to Washington, I mean, that says a lot about you. That really does your entire team, not just your quarterback situation, which is, it's just tough. You got some injuries and and I, I hope Andy Dalton can recover in a week or two here and maybe uh, get back on the field soon. But the Cowboys are in serious trouble, and the NFC East uh, continues to be a pretty poor division in football. Uh, the Eagles won on uh, Thursday night over the Giants, and the Eagles are the division leaders at 2-4-1. and one. So crazy stuff there in the NFC East. Uh, some other games over the weekend. The Packers, they, they look pretty good. They rebounded. They beat the Texans 35-20. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, played well. The offense looked pretty consistent uh, from from them. Pretty balanced. Uh, pretty good output. And the, the Texans. I just don't know what to say about them. They just. I can't explain why they're so bad, but they just keep losing football games, and that's all that really matters in the league. Um, there was another big game, at least out here on the West Coast, for a lot of Californian Raider fans. Tampa Bay Buccaneers came into Las Vegas and beat the Raiders forty-five to twenty. It was an okay game for about a half. Uh, Brady looked to be. Uh, playing like Tom Brady, really getting comfortable through 369 yards, four touchdowns, uh, was not sacked, no interceptions. So he played really well. I know uh, he's hitting Gronkowski a little bit more now. Gronk had nine receptions, had a touchdown. Uh, that offense seems to be really uh, gelling. And uh, watch out for the Tampa Bay Bucks because uh, I think they're going to do some really good things. Uh, I will say two things that happened on Sunday that were kind of tough losses last minute if you will first was that browns Bengals game i mean joe burrow put the Bengals in position to win uh the browns and bank baker mayfield went up the field and again i mentioned it i gave him credit already that last throw he made for the game-winning touchdown pass was, was pretty uh, pretty remarkable and a really good uh way for cleveland to win the game and, and really tough loss for the Bengals. but uh the Bengals are going to do uh, Bengals things i guess uh, again congrats to the browns a last minute win Last second win, I should say, in the Battle of Ohio. But probably the strangest ending on Sunday uh, has to do with, once again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, the Atlanta Falcons. And I mentioned to you guys in the college segment uh, a few minutes ago that Indiana University, they allowed Penn State to score a touchdown late, late in the game, to uh, as they were down by one point. They allowed Atlanta, or excuse me, Indiana allowed Penn State to score so that they could go down eight. Then they went up the field and tied the game late. Well, a similar situation happened in the Atlanta Falcons-Detroit Lions game. Um, Atlanta uh, was leading the game. 
Uh, let's see here. Doing my math correctly. They were, they were winning. They were leading the game. Excuse me, man, get it together. Atlanta was trailing the football game. Uh, 16 to 14 uh, late in the fourth quarter. Let's see, 17, 14. No, no, no. I apologize. Sorry, guys. I'm on 10, 13. You can do it, Matt. I know you can do it. Plus three. Yeah, I was right. 16, 14. Atlanta was losing and they had the ball. They're driving up the field. And with one minute and four seconds left, uh, Todd Gurley, former Ram, one of my four favorite players, uh, Todd Gurley ran the ball. And it was about a 10 yard run and he scored a touchdown. And I think as he was approaching, there was kind of some contact around the five yard line and he kind of stumbled and he was going to break the tackle. And before he could uh, not score, we'll say uh, he was, it was like too late, his momentum and everything. Uh, Todd, Todd girl is a very smart football player. He's actually done this before in the past with the Rams when they were playing the Packers actually uh, where the Rams had the ball and were winning and he could have scored a touchdown, but he, uh, he gave himself up. He went to the ground inbounds. The clock would run out and the Rams would win. Well, even though Atlanta was trailing in this situation, the same thing applied. It was one of those weird clock situations right around a minute left where Atlanta's in field goal range. They're down by two points. They want to burn as much clock as possible and kick a chip shot field goal to win the game. Well, Todd Gurley stumbles into the end zone. And I think he realizes as he's doing it, that like, he was aware he just couldn't like stop himself. So he scores Atlanta goes for two to get the two point conversion to go up 22 to 16. Cause you know, what good is a five point lead might as well go up six or, or, uh, or whatever. So that maybe if they score, they miss an extra point anyway. Uh, well that left a minute and four left for, for Detroit who went up the field and on the final play regulation, uh, Matt Stafford hit TJ Hawkinson for an 11 yard touchdown pass and all they needed was the extra point at that time. There was actually a penalty, an unsportsmanlike penalty, which backed up the extra point and made it a 48-yard uh, extra point. But uh, the kicker, Matt Prater, nailed the kick, and the Detroit Lions beat the Atlanta Falcons 23-22 on one of the strangest endings to a football game you'll see. I feel bad for my guy Todd Gurley trying to do the right thing. It just didn't work out for him. And once again, the Atlanta Falcons find another way to lose, especially leading late in the game. I know they only had a six-point lead with a minute left, but still uh, they just continue to find weird ways to lose, and it's got to be tough to be an Atlanta sports fan, especially a Falcons fan in this crazy year of 2020. So that's uh, kind of a recap. The Chargers got a win uh, over the Jaguars. Nothing too exciting there, but a congrats to to the Chargers and Justin Herbert for putting out a win. The Chiefs beat the Broncos in the snow. That was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the Bills and the Jets, that was kind of close for a while, but ultimately the Bills uh, you know, won that football game after losing two weeks in a row. Uh, the poor Jets are 0-7, and they played hard but just couldn't quite get it done. That's kind of a quick rundown of our NFL action from Sunday. I do want to say this, Monday night, my Los Angeles Rams play the Chicago Bears at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. I'm very excited about it. Unfortunately, I work until at least 10 o'clock at night. So I got to rush home. I'm recording the game and going to try my best to not find out any information and watch the football game. I don't know if I can pull it off. I've told my roommates, don't say a word. My phone will be off starting at five o'clock. I won't look at my phone until well after midnight after uh, the Rams game is over from the late night recording uh, 
watching when I get home. Uh, so that's the plan. I don't know if I can pull it off. I got some coworkers who like to talk crap to each other about uh, the, the current games going on and everything, but I'm hoping that they're so focused on the Dodgers and the World Series that maybe they won't make mention of the Rams game on Monday night. So I have a stealth-type mission on Monday. I got to get through work without hearing the score uh, or even going into the break room because the game is always on the TV there. So I can't even go in there. I'm trying not to leave it anything up to chance. I got to do my best to not know what happened on Monday night for the Monday night football game and try to get home without any knowledge of anything that occurred in the game. I don't know if I can do it, but I will promise you, I'll tell you guys on Wednesday when I sit down with Bill Barnes, if I was able to pull it off. So if you're listening, no, but well, my phone will be off. So it won't matter. Do not text me. Do not call me. Do not send me a care package, a late night, uh, uh, whatever. Don't, don't, please don't. I will, we will not be friends ever again. It's hard to not watch the Rams games and to record them and watch them a few hours later, but I'm doing my very best. So if you're a bad guy, you'll probably try to do bad things, but uh, I will uh, not be very happy. So anyway, that's the plan for Monday night. Uh, one more game left here to wrap up week seven of the NFL, and that will conclude our discussion of NFL games and recaps from an exciting week of action. Well, that will wrap up our sports recap show here on Monday like we've been doing the past couple of Mondays in our new format. We have a quick discussion of some of the major sporting events going on around the country, whether it be college football, the NFL, the World Series, UFC, boxing, a lot of different things going on right now. So that's what we're going to continue to do on Mondays. I might be bringing in some people to talk briefly, you know, maybe some fans of a specific team. Hey, talk to me five minutes about the Raiders or, hey, talk to me 10 minutes about the 49ers or, hey, what do you think about the upcoming fight? I might be doing some of that stuff on Mondays as it's kind of driven towards sports, uh, mostly on Mondays. But uh, those are just some ideas. In general, it's just going to be me giving my two cents uh, and continuing to uh, give my recap stories and just kind of my thoughts on the action and everything we see. So if that bores you, I do apologize. I'll try to spice it up and uh, really be honest about a lot of my opinions and everything because I know that kind of drives the uh, drives the audience and uh, maybe raises some questions from you guys. Uh, maybe some of you will write in and say, Matt, you're dead wrong or, hey, how could you say that? Or, hey, hey, Matt, here's a good conversation. You should uh, talk about this. Always appreciate the questions, the feedback, uh, even the, even some of the jabs some people give me. Whatever whatever the case is, I appreciate you for listening. We'd love to hear from you guys, so please reach out to us. You know there's plenty of ways to reach out to us on the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. Send us an email. Send us a social media message whatever is easier for you guys. We also have some links in our episode notes that you can click on to leave us a voice message as well as some other information there regarding our podcast if you'd like to uh, check that out. Guys, Wednesday, we will be back and back with us will be Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. As of now, the plan is to record with Bill Barnes Wednesday morning. We know that plans could change, so uh, bear with us. Uh, Continue to uh, work with us as we try to get episodes out on time but things could always change so the plan for now 
to record with Bill Wednesday morning after Game 6 of the World Series. We'll be able to talk about that quite a bit, as well as some more topics regarding college football, uh, maybe his thoughts on the upcoming election. I know that's coming very fast. That is a week from Tuesday. And uh, yeah, time is flying. Maybe it's whatever day it is. Anyway. Uh, we hope to hear from you guys. As I mentioned, thank you for tuning in. Bill Barnes will be ready to rock on Wednesday with some very strong opinions about the World Series, the Dodgers, umpiring, uh, debate moderators, lots of things to talk about with Bill Barnes. As last week, we were a little rushed in our discussion. We had to kind of do it last minute. So this week, we'll try to put in some time. We'll try to do it right. And if you have questions for Bill, make sure to get him in by Tuesday evening or really early Wednesday morning so that uh, I can sit down and record with him and uh, talk to him about your questions, your content suggestions, whatever the case may be. Thanks for bearing with me today, guys. Uh, We kick off another week, another week of work, another week of shows. Well, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that is. And then on Friday, we'll be back with a a long-form interview as we always are here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Looking forward to that guest. And I'll tell you all about them on Wednesday with uh, the episode with Bill Barnes. So guys, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Enjoy the day off from uh, the World Series. It'll be back in action on Tuesday. That should be plenty exciting for the city of Los Angeles and all Dodger fans out there to hopefully finish it, bring it home. And uh, yeah, we'll see. If not, there'll be a game seven. I don't know. But uh, we'll know by Wednesday when the episode is out with Bill Barnes. So, guys, enjoy your week. We will see you on Wednesday. But, guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.